Welcome to Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond. We are so glad you could join us today. The Crosstalk podcast is in pursuit of growing in our understanding of the gospel and discovering what it means to transfer to the next generation. And now, here are your hosts, Charles and Daniel. Thank you for joining us today. Today, we're going to jump back into part two of our look at warnings from history. Uh, If you remember, uh, last week we looked at movements again, or expounding upon movements, which we had done even a couple weeks or so ago. And so that's what we're going to continue to do in part two and wrap that up, is really more of just highlighting some movements to help us get the need and the understanding, uh, or maybe I should say the warning on what not to do and what to to fight against <laughs> and where to walk and not walk. I think that's really what we're trying to do today. And so it's a continuation of a deeper dive that we started last week in regards to church history and warnings from history. So uh, we talked about seven-day Adventists last week. And then we talked about um, Mormonism. I was trying to remember off the top of my head. I did not make notes. Um, But today we're going to jump into Jehovah Witnesses. And I would assume this is going to be a continuation of the Adventist movement and kind of a bearing out of that. Well, we said before that that, um, Seventh-day Adventism and and Watchtower Jehovah's Witnesses were both clearly Adventist movements. They, They picked up on this sort of snowball that was building regarding eschatology, a thing called by some Chileism or Chileism from the Chile word meaning Latin word meaning thousand millennialism, this sort of fervor about eschatology, the second coming and so forth. I mean people might say, Well man, we had that in our day. Yeah, it's sort of a, a continuation of that in some Some respects, things never change. In some ways, not not completely, but uh but Watchtower is definitely Adventist um uh, the other one we will talk about in a moment is not Adventist, but it happened during the same the same yep. time frame. Uh, Watchtower, the Watchtower uh, movement uh, was started by a fellow by the name of Charles Taz Taz Russell. Uh, Russell was influenced again, just like um, Ellen G. White, by a fellow by the name of William Miller. Miller really got some people's attention, especially people in, of non-evangelical. Persuade, so, who were disgruntled w- with the evangelical situation. I was going to ask that question. So you you have this guy by the name of William Miller, and he obviously garners a lot of attention or people latch on to him, mm-hmm. not just from his own group, but outside of that, and developed other groups. I don't. You may not be prepared to answer this question, but is it solely based upon the fact that they were completely and utterly disgruntled with evangelicalism? I think there was some disgruntledness. I think there was just some ignorance. I think ignorance of the scriptures left people susceptible. People people who – it's interesting that these things happened on the heels of the first Great Awakening, and then sometimes some of these things happened during the second Great Awakening. And uh, so you have emotional fervor that's not all real. Mm. You have people who are looking for something that they're ignorant of the gospel, perhaps, um, that's, I'm, well, and I'm not saying this is all of it. I'm just saying this is, this is a part of it. Well, could it also be possible that the churches, the evangelical churches, were not doing what they were supposed to be doing? Well, since we're not there, it's I'm, hard I'm to not say. Gonna, okay. but, I, I, but 
certainly, I mean, we know how it is today. Yeah. There are churches that are shallow, and their view of the gospel is very man-centered and experiential. There was certainly some of that. I mean, when you think of the fact that, that someone like Finney had so much influence, and there was so much revivalism, you know, some of these things can be spawned through fervor that's not necessarily biblically directed. <clears throat> I mean, um, we'll go back just to Jonathan Edwards. When he talked about religious affections. He believed in biblically-based religious affections. He also knew that affections are fickle well, and I, I, can I just, be influenced by in a wrong way. Yeah, I just asked that question because obviously we have this one guy who's central to a lot of these heresies that we're talking about. And so it's it, to me it's fascinating that you have this many dense ground of people who are all of a sudden latching onto this one guy. Now, I – Having been a part of some Christian movements in the '90s, going into small movements, yeah, yeah, small movements. Yeah. When you compare it to these, what we're talking about, I can understand how people latch on to one person. Like it makes sense to me. Not that I ever did that necessarily. I'm saying I saw other people do you that. See it. Yeah. yeah, it makes sense to me. Well, people are very apt to interpret the Bible by a system mm. instead of interpret the system by the Bible. Well, and I also think people don't want, and bear with me when I say this, people don't want to do the work to know what the Scripture means. Right. So so what I'm saying is is that basically they're lazy. I know that sounds awful, but right. we really are lazy in our approach to Scripture. We tend and to be intellectually lazy. Yeah, intellectually lazy. Yeah. And I mean that in, in, in all good grace. I, I, we, we can all be that way. But it, we, we're lazy. We don't want to do the work. And so, therefore, we just want to be emotional about it. Right. And we just want to, oh, this is what I think it fi- thinks you know and feels to me. And yeah. um, I'm reminded of a book that I'm reading right now on um, – I can't even remember the name because the book's not in front of me, <laughs> and I'm reading a lot of books right now, so <laughs> bear with me. But in there, he's talking about the, the, the issue of interpretation of Scripture, right. and the author talks about having a, a class with a bunch of six-year-old boys um, who actually were going to a Christian school who were taught how to think and critically think in this Christian right. school, but he's having his class, and he said, you know, he read the Scripture, he says, I just want us to, from the text, figure out what it means. He goes, it doesn't seem like it'd be too hard. I mean text says what it says right and these boys are wow this is what i think it means to me right (laughs) and he goes eventually we worked through it and i don't have time to go the whole story but in the end they were finding the text and he goes it was like a light bulb came on and from that point on those six-year-old boys knew how to look at the text without any other what i would say tools other than just looking at the text well i you know i grew up in church and in evangelical churches and I can remember more than once visiting somewhere, and we almost always went to church when we visited right. somewhere. And then even when I got older, as a student and so forth, going and, and going to a Sunday school class and somebody's teaching the class, and they begin the class by saying, well, uh, okay, mm. somebody, so-and-so read it, and then, okay, now, uh, so-and-so, what does that mean to you? Mm. And that is a, a dangerous approach to teaching scripture effects it's not teaching it at all now run it's yeah right <laughs> it's it's giving people the idea that scripture only says what it means to them well and i say all that because we are lazy we we, we don't want to do the yeah. work we need to be diligent we need to, to be, show, diligent, study, be diligent to show yourself approved study to show yourself approved so not to get off on that tangent but i think it has to do with obviously we're talking about jehovah witnesses charles taz russell and he's influenced by william miller so it's the same guy who influenced some of these other people we talked uh, about well the one he'd influenced was um uh, Ellen G. White. Right. Yeah. So, uh, well, now here's the interesting thing. 
So he, he kind of latches on to Miller. He, he found two things in Miller that really caught his attention. One was a denial of hell. Charles Russell d- did not believe in hell. He did not believe people died and went to hell. In fact, later we'll see that he denied any sort of afterlife. Second was uh, a renewed interest in eschatology. Miller was the one who probably got the ball rolling. Later we'll see somebody by the name of Darby who was more evan- more evangelical than these guys. He would not be as more – we probably wouldn't, wouldn't – um, um, characterize him as a cult leader, but his his view of of eschatology and premillennialism, dispensationalism is another thing we'll talk about another time. But um, so so Russell reads this guy, and man, that catches attention. No hell. Well, he mm-hmm. he was already struggling with the whole issue of hell, so it caused attention. And the eschatology, end times, Christ is coming. Can we know when? That sort of thing. So, so Russell, uh, he sort of built a following. He became a teacher. He was a good teacher. When I say a good teacher, he knew how to communicate. How to talk, yeah. He was good at getting people's attention. He built a following and basically came up with some tenets of his, his own system of belief. One was uh, he denied the Trinity. Um, that was um, a heretical teaching in his mind, the deity of Christ. Christ was not God. Christ was the um, – uh, was a sort of a super angel, um, and that's a simplification. But uh, he, he denied the physical resurrection of Christ and uh, uh, the literal literal uh, uh, coming of Christ, and then second coming. So he pretty and much just destroyed the entire Christian faith. Pretty much the, the basics. Yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, when, the when, you, when you talk about his tenets, I'm like, that's like literally destroying every yeah. tenet of the Christian faith that well, we hold dear. Yeah, he de- he denied eternal judgment. But here's the thing. And I, we're not going to take time here to go into the system, but the the way Jehovah's Witness and Russell and Rutherford later viewed the whole issue of, of eternity was that there was a kingdom coming and that whoever was alive then could be involved in it. There would be an opportunity for some to be converted. Uh, it, it's a, a sort of An con- actual convoluted. physical kingdom, I would assume. Yes. Yeah. It's, it's a kind of a convoluted thing. But uh, And then finally, he, he believed in a works-based salvation. So you 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 gain a hope of salvation by works by what you do. Um, in 1884, now we're, we're approaching the 20th century. I mean, we're getting pretty close to the 20th century. By in 1884, he established what's called the Watchtower uh, Tract, Zion's Watchtower Tract and Society. That was the beginning of their publication arm, and they began to his writings, even if they were small, were were put out in 1886. He published a thing called the Divine Plan for the Ages. And aspects from that still hold today and stuff you get. Like if Jehovah's Witnesses come by your house, you'll get a little booklet yep. or something. And they put out a Watchtower magazine. It's, it's promulgating these same things. And uh, he believed, he predicted that the, that Armageddon would happen in 1914. So now you see these specific dates when things would happen. We've seen this before. Um, so it was. it's interesting because you and I were talking about this beforehand. He had several prophecies, and he was wrong on all of them. Yeah, they all get missed, and they keep moving them, you know. Uh, Which is, is not anything new. Well, he said Christ came spiritually in 1874, oh. uh, and he later changed that. Then there's a prediction that Armageddon's going to happen in 1914. Well, about that time, a little after that, the World War 
begins right. and gets and it escalates into a world war and the United States gets into that. The problem is Armageddon never happened. I mean, war happened, but we didn't have Armageddon. So now that didn't happen. There were predictions of Christ coming even until uh, Russell's death in 1915. And at which time a fellow by the name of Joseph Rutherford took over the reins of leadership in uh, Watchtower Society and changed the name to Jehovah's Witnesses. Jehovah, they believed, was the only proper name for the God of the Bible. Jesus was not Jehovah. Interesting, back years ago when I was in seminary, college seminary, there was a, a sort of a country folk Christian group that sang a song, Jesus is Jehovah to me. It was really pretty good. Um, and uh, but addressing that whole thing that Jehovah's mm. Witnesses say, you know, there's Jehovah God is the only God. Jesus is not God. That's heresy. There's only one God. You can't have two gods. Well, obviously, we don't believe in two gods. But um, so um, Rutherford came along. He the name was changed to Jehovah's Witnesses. They they became larger, and they have several million uh, followers. Uh, members, whatever you want to call them, their church buildings are called. I, I don't like using the term church, but they're gathering. For lack of a better, they're term. called uh, kingdom halls, mm-hmm. and uh, um, they do have it still an Adventist approach to ecclesiology and and soteriology and those things. Um, up until the seventies, mid seventies, there would continue to be these unfulfilled predictions. So mm. that's something that, again, when we say warnings from history, we're saying to people, keep your eye on the ball. Well, and it just shows you how we easily like to believe a lie. Yeah, I mean, I, my brother and I have talked about this. You and I've talked about this. People would much rather believe a lie than believe the truth. Well, you know, we often there's this saying in Southern life, maybe in other places, but we used to talk about somebody who who's like a chronic liar. They'll climb up a tree to tell a lie rather than stand on the ground and tell the yeah. truth. I think people will climb up a tree to believe a lie rather than stand on the ground to, li- to believe the truth. Right. We are susceptible to falsehood. That's yep. why we who know Christ depend on the Spirit of God to guide us, and we stay tethered, as we keep using that term, but stay tied to Scripture and its historical meaning, not its recent faddish meaning, but right. its historical meaning. So this next one we want to take a look at is has nothing really to do, if I am not wrong, with Seven Day Adventist. Um, but that is Christian science. Yeah, it's not an Adventist movement. Right. And we say Seventh-day Adventist. Which is interesting when we get into this, because the phrase Christian scientist is neither Christian, as you said, nor is it science. Right. So yeah, that, that's what we, we used to always joke about that in it's, college. It's, an, it's really an, an, an The problem with Christian science is not Christian, it's not science. Right. Uh, but um, Mary Baker Eddy was someone who struggled all her life with physical problems. She had pain. She, she lived a life of pain. She was always looking for something that might help her. And who, Understandably, hey, yeah. I understand. I'm 68. I live with pain all the time, and uh, uh, but you know, if somebody came up to me with some some heretical idea of life and scripture, and and with that promised me relief of my pain, I'd say, well, I just have to keep my. But pain. you're tethered to the truth, exactly. Well, it's right. interesting. I was as I was doing my reading again. I, I leaned heavily on this uh, little small two volume work from Chapel Library, but uh, so it gave the instance of a man who talked with another man about becoming a Christian science follower, he said, if you're willing to pay the price, you can become a Christian scientist. He said, the price, he said, you'll have to turn loose of the atonement and Christ and who he is and uh, salvation in Christ. You have to turn loose. That's an honest appraisal. That's exactly. He named all these things you have to turn loose of. You have to turn your back on those things. And um, 
that's the price of her heresy, actually. Well, anyway, uh, she um, she believed she she had this illness. Mary Beck, Beck Mary, or Mary Baker, Baker Eddie. Eddie. I want to say she Becky actually was introduced to a fellow by the name of Phineas Quimby. Quimby was a hypnotist, and he had reportedly uh, given people help from their pain and sickness through hypnotism. She was susceptible to that. Well, anything you tried everything. Yeah, so. I mean, when you, you're sick, you hurt, you want. Relief. You'll do anything for relief. Maybe to some to some degree, we understand that she needed help, and so she kind of latched onto him. He um, he taught that illness came from negative thoughts, and so if it comes from negative thoughts, the the, the key to help is positive thoughts. Um, uh, he did not believe, and she accepted this belief that that matter does not exist. So what you see as matter is not real. What is real? Is immaterial, therefore your pain is not real, uh, and um, that, so her her belief system developed. She rejected scripture pretty much entirely, and she published a, a quote unquote Bible called "Science and Health with the Key to the Scriptures." And I guess you got to use the term scripture there so you at least get the attention right. of some people. And uh, in that there were like ten great denials. She denied a personal God. Uh, she denied that God created the world, therefore, and that there was a trinity. Uh, she denied the deity of Christ. Christ, of course, we believe Christ is God, second person of Godhead, very God of very God. Um, she denied that. Uh, Christ. She denied Christ's true humanity. Um, you know, something interesting as I'm listening to you is that, and I know we we believe the truth and we're tethered to the truth, but each one of these are denying things that are very clear in Scripture. Right. So, which means you have to reject Scripture. Right. I mean, it, it comes down to the fact that there is no authority for your life. Or you have to alter Scripture right. by having something else that explains it the right way, vis-a-vis Mormonism, right. uh, Seventh-day Adventism. And here's – this is uh, – the script <laughs> cults, non-biblical spiritual – Religious groups tend to go astray first in two areas. The first is a view of Scripture. The second is a view of Christ. Mm. And then that leads to a wrong view of salvation. Well, the one leads to the other. Yeah. So it leads to a plethora of problems. Mm. So to pick back up on those denials, she she denied the substitutionary death of Christ. She denied Christ's resurrection. Well, he wasn't real. He wasn't a – at least he wasn't – matter's not real. So why resurrection? She – Denied the second coming, eternal punishment, and a day of judgment for the righteous. So, um, basically, God, to her and to Christian science, God is all in all. I mean, God is, all is God. God is all. That sounds rather nebulous, and it is. But, I mean, hey, there's value in that, right? If you have a nebulousness about God, you can have a nebulousness about a lot of things. God is good. This nebulous God is good, which is kind of funny. You take a nebulous God and you attribute something concrete to him. Goodness, well, I wouldn't right. say goodness is concrete, but you something definite to him, goodness. God's spirit being all, nothing is matter. And, um, and so there's this, the fourth element was this continuum called life, God, omnipotent, good, then deny death, evil, sin, and disease. So 
the very things that are tenets of the fundamentals of the faith are totally rejected. You reject God. You reject Scripture because Scripture is a revelation of God. You reject Christ because Christ is the uh, the fullness of the Godhead bodily. And so you come up with, in all this nebulousness, you come up with a great promise, and that is you can cure all. Right. Because matter doesn't exist. Um now, I can hear someone saying, yeah, yeah, that sounds pretty preposterous. I wouldn't believe that. I understand those of us who are tested. But somebody did. But people do. And people have and are doing it. But it doesn't sound that nutty when you're, when, when someone who believes it is explaining it in terms, especially reach out to you if you're hurting, if you need something. And cults usually attract, attach themselves to people who are weak or confused. And so, but well, I, I do think we have to realize that we are human and susceptible, and and our pride would keep us from saying that. Yeah. And it's interesting. Uh, HBO did a, a, a documentary on Scientology, which is obviously not the same as Christian Scientists. It's not even Christian but at all. But it's still a cult. But yeah. it's still a cult, whatever you want to call it. It's a weird group. Yeah. Um, and the guy in there was actually a film producer, which is a lot of film people involved mm-hmm. in that. And he was asked a question, or he had been asked a question, you know, why did you not see any of this stuff that was bad? Because there's a lot of bad things that happen within Scientology, or supposedly, you know, they've never really proved it, right? And he said, I didn't want to think that I would actually be thinking or believing something that was wrong. Right. You want to think you're right. And I thought that was very telling. Yeah. Because I I, I can see how he would be yeah. there. Because nobody wants to be like, I'm wrong. Yeah. None yeah. of us like to think we're wrong. Yeah. And so because and we that don't you're like. Dupe. Right. And because we don't like to think we're wrong, therefore we are very susceptible to that which is not true. Yeah. yeah. And well, so, once we believe it, right. we're very susceptible to staying with it. But I think we, we do that even before we believe it because we, we none of us like to be wrong. Right. We are prideful human beings, well, sinful human yeah. beings. So when, once you realize that understanding, then you realize how this happens. Yeah. Well, this is uh, what you, we use the umbrella term Adventism, and with some exceptions, we we made that point. But here was a period of time on the heels of the Great Awakening, hmm. and then even during that time, a second Great Awakening. And when evangelicalism was growing, it was growing evangelically and evangelistically. It was growing theologically, but there were these challenges to the truth of Scripture. Now we're going to see other as we close out our whole study here on on. Um, um, church history. We're going to see some other things. Some of these things developed experientially. Others developed intellectually. Mm-hmm. We're going to see how both of those areas of our lives need to be sharply honed by the Word of God so that we're true to God and His Word and not to our feelings, not right. to our thoughts, but to well, two the things. truth of Scripture. The Bible is authoritative yeah. and it is sufficient. Yeah. It is. The sufficiency of Scripture and the sufficiency of Christ are two very important elements of a solid Christian walk. Absolutely. Well, thanks for joining us. This has been good. And as uh, Dad said, we are going to be wrapping up soon here. I know it's been a long journey. And so we've probably got another couple of weeks here. And then we're going to be just kind of giving our, we're hoping a couple of weeks, maybe three. Yeah, we'll what ourselves a little out there. Um, but next couple of weeks or so, we're going to be wrapping things up and really trying to draw this to a close. And if you know of anyone who needs to just have a good overview, share this with people right. and, and say, hey, this would be good to listen to. Several episodes long, but you can kind of work through it. Introduction to church yeah. history. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thanks for joining us, and we'll see you next week. Thanks, everyone, so much for joining us today. 
you can always visit us on the web at crosstalkpodcast.org. Crosstalk is produced by Vision for Living Ministries, a nonprofit organization. This podcast is a free resource, but you can support us financially through our website. For more information on Vision for Living Ministries, visit our website at visionforliving.org, where you will find more great resources. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Just search for Vision for Living or on Twitter at V4L. We also love to hear from our listeners. You can email us anytime at info at visionforliving.org. Be sure to join us next week on Crosstalk, the gospel for today and beyond.